Well, good morning. My name is Mike Daniels. I am one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to open the Bible with you to Jonah chapter 2. For those of you who are joining us online, we want to welcome you as well. Several things have taken place over the last week or two that has captured my attention. In fact, uh, captured my attention to the point that I honestly have not been able to um, take, take my attention off of it. In fact, the news has been unfolding in a story in Thailand. Perhaps you have uh, seen some of the news. It's, it's a, a story that's gripped the nation, in fact, gripped the world, and, and it's something that has just gripped my heart. Fourteen days ago, a team of 12 young soccer-playing boys and their 25-year-old coach went exploring into a cave and found them tra- themselves trapped in a maze of tunnels and darkness as the summer rains descended on that mountain. And those rains blocked the way out for those boys. Trapped two and a half miles from the very entrance that they went in and more than a half mile underground, these kids and this one coach stuck. Cave explorers and rescue workers, Thai military seals, rescuers, engineers, physicians and some of the world's sharpest, brightest minds have offered their help. Money has been no issue and no object, yet the greatest threat that faces this team of young boys is rain. Torrential downpours that will come as the monsoon season hits, and this monsoon season is just around the corner. And right now, in fact, this very moment, I've been watching it even as I came out, Right now, rain is falling on that mountain, making everything harder and more treacherous and delivering a a blow to the efforts of these crew and these workers who are trying to get these children out of harm's way. You see, malnutrition over these last 14 days has set in. Oxygen levels in that cave have been falling, and few, if any, of the children know how to swim. The water is cold, dark, and the passages are small. The hole is large enough for one human to go through in some of the places where the cavern gets small. In fact, it's almost like putting a pencil through a hole. In fact, one Thai Navy SEAL has already lost his life trying to provide those children with air in that cave. The rain is coming. Monsoon season is here. The downpours are beginning. The likes of which cannot be pumped out of the cave. Can't be swam through, can't be navigated. Time is of the essence and a watching world just like me and perhaps some of you can only wait and pray that a merciful God will intervene. In fact, the rescue this morning has begun. As I woke up this morning, they saw the rain, they saw the forecast, and they said, we have little to no other choices but simply to try to swim those kids out. In fact, over the last couple of days, they have fitted those kids with scuba gear and tried to teach a young, scared 12-year-old how to put a mask and a breathing apparatus in his mouth and tell him, you were not going to be able to see anything for a journey that could last up to five hours. In fact, those rescue workers from start to finish will have a day 
of 10 to 12 hours from the time they start outside the mouth of that cave to the time that they get those boys hopefully safely out, a 12-hour trip. The dire circumstances at the base of this mountain in Thailand is not unlike the story that we have been looking at in the prophet of Jonah. In fact, last week we began this five-week series on a prophet named Jonah. It's a book called Jonah in the Bible. He is a prophet that has been called to go to this place called Nineveh and preach to them and call them to repentance. Now, the problem was that Jonah hated Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Syria. Syria was uh, the mortal enemy of the people of God, the Israelites. And Jonah wanted no part of this expedition. Just like you and I, we look at this story and we ask the question, why would God call us to something that doesn't make sense? In fact, Jonah said, those guys are pagans. In fact, I think they're lost and they should stay lost. It's almost as if God were to ask Jonah to do something like, I don't know, perhaps ask a Jew in 1942 to go to Germany and tell Hitler that God had called him to have a wonderful life. To call him to repentance and perhaps maybe even a man as treacherous and as terrible as Hitler, perhaps God wants to save him. And Jonah says, just like maybe me and you would say, I want no part. And Jonah said no to God's plan. And he, in fact, went the exact opposite direction. In fact, God says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah went the exact opposite direction to a seaport called Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarsus. And he got on that ship. It was any ship. He just wanted out of there. He paid the fare. And he went to the bottom of the ship. And he went to sleep. Jonah the prophet who had seen ministry success, and he had seen the very hand of God actually using him previous in his life, previous episodes and adventure. He had seen the, the Lord doing things in and through him, so this was not a new occurrence to him, but he didn't want any part of this. And he ignored the call of God upon his life and found himself fleeing from the very presence of God. He headed to the first boat, any boat on the way out of town, and he was now resting comfortably in his newfound freedom, hoping that time would pass away from this call of God and that he too would find himself on the other side, free from this burden of a lost and pagan, revolting nation. And it's in oftentimes like this, in times in our lives when everything is calm, that we tend to simply relax and we rest and we wallow in our self-centered plans of a comfortable life and a modest but more than adequate paycheck we have 2.5 kids, a dog, a cat, and the dream of suburbia that is befitting of the American dream. We sit back and we realize, hey, listen, there's a ship in the harbor. There is a spot there just for me. I have enough money in my pocket to pay the fare, and there are calm seas, and why not get on and go for a ride? And it must be okay for me to do this because after all, I just, I'm the captain of my own destiny and I want simply to do what feels good and feels right to me. And if that means I have to just simply put God's will to the side, then that's what I'll do. And then the rains come. We wake up in a torrential downpour of circumstances in our life and in our groggy state, we ask the question, where did I go wrong? What happened? How, why hasn't this trip? Why hasn't this trip taken me to where I wanted to go? And why hasn't my life provided me 
with what I wanted? Why am I not satisfied with where I am currently in my life? You see the story of Jonah this morning. As we get into this, is one that resonates with us all. It is, it is our story. It is a story that is our story this morning. And I want you to know when your life, and some of you today, you can say, my life is sinking in despair. My life is, it, torrential downpours are taking place. And I want to remind you this morning that when you are sinking, God can always be trusted. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Jonah in the Bible. It's to the left of uh, Matthew. It's in the Old Testament, but to the left of the New Testament. In fact, it's eight books back. If you want to go to Matthew and take eight books to the left, it's tucked in between Obadiah and Micah. It's no more than three pages of text, and it only has 48 verses. In fact, some of the things we said last week, and I say them again here, the main character is not a rebellious prophet. It is not a really large, supersized fish, but it is God himself, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, the one who is mentioned 38 times in 48 verses. You see, Jonah is a familiar story for many of us, but yet it is little more than a big fish tale for a lot of us. Jonah is not a mythical character. It's not a cartoon that we see in the storybook pages of our children's books. But he is a historical person that lived. In fact, Jesus will, will even point to him in the New Testament and say, this too has happened. And he speaks of Jonah. And Jonah pictures a struggle that is our struggle, a struggle for you and I to obey and to trust and believe in this God that holds the rain in his hands, the storm storms and the seas in his hand. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter 1. And for sake of bringing folks along this morning, I'd like to read just the first couple of verses. We'll read verses 1 through 6 this morning, which will bring us up to where we were last week. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it, into the boat, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid, laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God, arise. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Would you pray with me? Father, as we read your word, we know that God, your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. And we ask that God, even today, that you would teach us, that you would, that you would use the scalpel of God's word simply to touch and to, to prick our hearts this morning, that we would hear from you and directly from you. Father, that we would see in this story that this is a story that resonates with all of us. And we pray, oh God, that you would teach in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we live 
comfortable, self-absorbed, disobedient lives, when we live outside of the very presence of the Lord, we should be sure that the first point this morning, I'm going to give you four, we'll roll through these pretty quick. The first point is this, and when you live outside of the will of the Lord, a storm is brewing. Now, when you see this, verse four, it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and they cried out to his God. Now, this is a supernatural storm this morning. You see something that you don't see very often. You, knew the, you know the storm is bad. When experienced sailors not only are afraid, but they begin to pray. These are not just seasoned sailors, they're pagans. In fact, they cry out to their gods. This type of SOS prayers that many of you perhaps and I have, have prayed in time of calamity and dire need, it's almost a mayday, mayday. These pagan sailors had leathery, sun-baked skin, wrinkled from overexposure. They were experienced, skilled mariners. They lived off the spoils of the sea. They spent weeks on end on this ocean, and they were seasoned, and they had seen storms before. But they had not seen one like this. You see, these are savory characters. They're individuals that, uh, honestly, they knew a thing or two about the sea. And one thing they knew that Jonah didn't was they were not in control of this storm. See, as Jonah, as Jonah sleeps in the, in the bottom of that, in that ship... These sailors are looking out going, I'm not sure what is going on here, but I know that we are not over the wind and the rain, the rain and the sea swells and the storm. And they cried out to their gods. And we see here that these were polytheistic uh, sailors. They believed in a lot of different little gods with little g. They had all these little idols. They had all these individuals, gods, that they would cry out to in the midst of any circumstances. And their goal was to find out what god was what God was offended and try to do anything possible to appease that God. And in the meantime, verse 5 says this, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. They just start chunking stuff off the side of the boat. They start taking stuff one by one and start getting stuff off the boat. You almost feel bad for these guys. In this picture, you see these guys that are just going about their business. They are pagans who worship different gods, yes. And they're probably not the person you want your daughter to bring home and to marry, yes. However, they were just doing their jobs. They were sailing from one port to another trying to deliver their goods safely and on time, get paid, and go home. And all of a sudden, this storm comes rushing in on them. And here they are dumping everything overboard. The wording there is tackle and utensils, everything, to, down to the smallest thing. Their goal was simply to lighten the load and steady the ship. That's all they knew to do. That's all they knew in the midst of this storm. These sailors, they took notice of the storm. But where, where is Jonah? This guy that just kind of bought a ticket last minute, he entered the ship. We haven't seen him since. Where is Jonah? Verse 5. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. You see, for Jonah, the last 24, 48 hours had been a blur. He was called by God to go to a pagan city and call it to repentance. A city that he didn't care anything about. 
He ignored God's call and he went down to the closest seaport. It was Joppa, we find in the scriptures. He found a ship waiting there. He booked a ticket and he fled from the very presence of God. In these 24 hours, he was blissfully unaware of the circumstances that were going on around him. He was exhausted and he fell asleep. It reminds me, think about many of you perhaps travel every once in a while. Some of you are seasoned travelers, but for me, I travel every once in a while. It reminds me of when I'm trying to get on an airplane. Think about his day. If you're trying to get on an airplane, what are you doing? You're doing everything at your home and the office trying to get ready for the trip so that when you can be gone a day or two or a couple days, you pack, you drive to the airport. You park, you find a shuttle, you get a ticket, you check your luggage, you go through TSA, you make your way to the gate. You may even have to take a tram. You get on a plane, you find your seat, you settle your carry-on in the overhead above you or in the seat underneath you. You greet your neighbor and you text your family. I'm exhausted just thinking about what takes place of me trying to get from my house onto an airplane. And this is Jonah. He is exhausted. His, 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 every fiber of his being has just been poured out trying to do one thing right after the other. Now look here. When I'm sitting on an airplane after all that ritual, the hums of the engine and the warm confines of my home for the next hour to an hour and a half, wherever I may be going, good night, Alice. I have been known to go to sleep before the cabin door has even closed. And here is Jonah. He was comfortable. He was dry. He was warm. He was happy to be away from the burden of this call of God to people he didn't want to get saved. And actually, he may have actually been realized that he was useless on an ocean. In fact, Hebrews were not known to be sailors. They were not known to be men and women who knew what to do on the sea. In fact, they stayed away from the sea. This may have been his first ever trip. And he's like, hey, I'm going on down, so I'm not in the way. I'm going to go under this sh the cabin here. I'm just going to lay down for a few minutes. They've got this. I can't help anyway. And he's asleep. The Bible says that he is fast asleep in this ignorance of what is taking place all around him. Verse 6, so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. To the astonishment of this seasoned, weathered, calloused captain, Jonah is asleep. Get up, pray to your God. In fact, remember this polytheistic idea is you pray to your God, we're going to pray to ours, and hopefully we'll get the right God. And he says, arise. This is the second time this word arise is used in, in verse 2 of the same chapter. Remember, God says, arise and go to Nineveh. He says, arise and call out to your God. It's almost a nightmare of deja vu. Leave me alone. I don't want to rise. I want to stay right here sound asleep. Call out to your God. It didn't matter any God. Just call out to a God. And then the captain, can you imagine this guy who has worked all of his life? He probably had had rough, calloused hands. Hey, everyone is working and you're laying around. Kind of reminds me of a, my son on chore day. Get up! Must find this offended God. You must find this offended God and appease him in some way. 
You see, the storm is brewing, and the morning, and in the morning, you realize that when the storm is brewing, you are either coming out of a storm, you're going in a storm, or you are in the midst of a storm. And perhaps this morning, you find yourself, hey, listen, you don't know about my diagnosis. You don't know about my wayward child. You don't know about my bank account. You don't know about the bills that I'm facing. And there is a storm that is brewing. And this morning, these storms create havoc in our lives. And left unattended, these storms in all of our lives, they get worse. They shatter everything in our paths. They affect the lives of everyone around. There are no actions or efforts on our own that can get us out of these storms. And many times, we don't even see some of these storms coming because we're fast asleep. But we see sometimes in our own lives that these non-believers, these pagan sailors even, they're asking the question, how do we get out of this? They're brought to their very knees and believers are asked, hey, listen, can you explain what is going on in our life and in your life? Tell me, why are these children in Thailand going through this? How does this make sense? And when we live outside of the presence of God, a storm is brewing. The second thing I want you to see is a solution is always sought. A solution is sought, and they said to one another, verse 7, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? They throw these little little smooth stones to determine who was to blame. It's this idea of a common practice that was in the Old Testament, New Testament. In fact, you see it throughout. There. In fact, I looked it up, and there's, there's multiple cases throughout the Old and New Testament of where people would cast lots. and It's almost like throwing dice, except that God often determined the outcome of how these dice fell. And these stones here, these stones fell in such a way to indicate that Jonah was the one to blame. All these guys are on deck. The the wind and the rain, rain is howling, and they're throwing, trying to figure out who is to blame for this, who has offended a God. And the sailors begin, one right after another, a rapid succession of fire of, of questions, and they're firing them off one at a time. Who are you? What is your occupation? Where are you from? Who did this? You see, these pagans were wondering. We see this guy just at the last minute get on a boat and he vanished. He went away. We didn't even get to know him. We want to know more about him because he's the only one that is new to this ship. Which God have you offended? Verse 9 says this. And he said to them, and Jonah said to the sailors, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. I fear the Lord. It gives a specific God. He says, I know a specific God. I fear and trust a specific God, not a generic God of the ones that you guys follow. He says this, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And Jonah finally owns up to who he is and the God that he serves, this Hebrew God, this this God that is named Yahweh, a covenant-keeping God, one who pursues and one who saves and one who calls men to go and seek lost nations for himself. You see, he says, I serve the one true God. 
And he expressed to these multi-God pagans that he believed in the supreme God, the God who is the maker of the sea and the dry land. Now, this is the God they're looking for. They're looking for dry land right now because everything is tumbling around, around them. And isn't it sad that it took a pagan crew of perishing sailors in the midst of a monsoon to get Jonah to tell them about his saving and pursuing God? Think about the folks that you and I come in contact with each and every day. There are people that are perishing all around us that simply would long to know the God that you know. And it takes here, it takes a group of perishing sailors to simply get Jonah to speak truth about his God. Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? This phrase, this phrase actually reads like a question. What have you done? But the original language is an imperative declaration. Look what you have done. They have this Hebrew on their, on their boat. And they now proclaim the declaration that you have caused this. You have caused this to us, our boat, our cargo, our livelihoods. Who knows if our future is in peril Sea is raging and dry land is a remote goal. The mariners are trying to figure out the source of this storm. And this Hebrew, this Hebrew, he's to blame. The, the lots, they, they, they line up in his favor. In fact, he has said, it's me. And look what happens. They realize, hey, this is not a criminal. This is not a guy that has a checkered past. In fact, he's a servant of Yahweh. He's a servant of this covenant-keeping God. And he has fallen out of favor with his own God. And only he knows how to calm this storm. Because only he knows this God. We don't know this God. This is his God. They're still thinking in the terms of a little g God. And so we want to ask advice. What should we do? And Jonah owns up to what is taking place. Verse 12, he says this, and he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest hath come among you. Shows this deep understanding. Jonah, even in the midst of this storm, he has now been woken up. He has been brought to the surface. He has been accused. He is seeing the peril all around him. And he still has this understanding of this deep abiding understanding of the nature of God. And he says this, I know, I know that God will punish disobedience. I know that God punishes sin. He is a God of justice. But on the flip side, I also know that God shows mercy as well. I know that he provides salvation. He is a God of justice. He is a God of mercy. It is me that this has caused. Throw me overboard. Hurl me overboard and the sea will calm. That will be the mercy given to you. But I will have to go overboard because of my disobedience. This morning, when we live outside of the very presence of God, a storm is brewing. When we live outside of the presence of God, there is a storm that comes upon us. Solutions are always sought. And the third thing is a backup plan is often preferred. A backup plan is preferred. Now look what happens. It says this, the first word in 13 says, nevertheless. Nevertheless what? 
He had just been given the instructions, throw me overboard. It's my fault, throw me overboard. But look, they're not willing to do that. Nevertheless, these pagans say, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And so when you look at this, you realize they didn't like Jonah's plan. These were pagan sailors, but they were not murderers. They realized that if we do this very thing, we are signing his death sentence. We know that if we throw him overboard in this type of raging sea, he's done. And just like us, we don't like, oftentimes, we don't like God's plan A. We seek a black backup plan. We want an escape hatch. We want a back alley exit. We want a ripcord to God's plan A. Especially when the wind roars and the rain falls. Look what happened. The men rode harder. Isn't that what we do? Whenever we see that God's plan is something we don't want to do, we step to the side and we try to do our own plan. We try to step aside and say, hey, listen, if I just row harder, I can do it myself. Get out of the way, God. I got this. Let me show in fact, my daughter, when she was three, she would often say, myself, I do it myself, myself, mommy, myself. You know, kids and adults, there's not much difference and it relates to obeying the very heart of God. We want plan B. And then we find out that plan B doesn't work. We try to out-strategize, out-run, out-think, and out-work God, and it just doesn't work. The harder we work, the greater the storm grows. And eventually, you and I, and even these soldiers, these hardened soul, uh, sailors, I'm sorry, gave up and they turned toward God. And that is the only response we have. Verse 14, look. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleases, pleased you. When our last-ditch efforts fail to change our circumstances, the one thing we can do, ladies and gentlemen, is turn to God, the God who created the sea and the dry land. And when a storm is brewing and our solutions, the natural solutions that we come up with fall short and our backup plans fail, the last and best next step is the Savior is sought. We are to seek a Savior. A Savior is sought as point four in the last one, and it is this, verse 15. So they picked up Jonah. At the end of their rope, they say the last-ditch effort, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. God, we hope that this is not going to be counted against us. We hope his blood is not going to be counted against us. But they picked him up and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. threw Jonah overboard, and immediately the sea stood still. And they recognized this Hebrew God, Yahweh, as the God of the sea. They had never seen this type of storm, and they had never seen a storm stop like this. Upon facing a storm in your life, you will be required to determine who you will trust a bunch of little gods with a little G. They're little gods in your life, whether it's money, ambition, education, status, wind, waves, 
Perhaps you look and say, hey, the waves are coming, but my reputation matters to me. My little league career matters to me, and it really matters to little Johnny. Or will you trust the God who controls the sea, the wind, and the waves? At this very moment, at this very moment, 9,000 miles away, there are 12, and now there are 10 young, frightened children and one 25-year-old coach, two and a half miles deep in a dark, damp, ocean-starved cave, facing the storm of their life. They are waiting for a savior. They have been waiting for 14 days for a pump big enough, and it doesn't exist. They're waiting for a superhuman rescuer to come and save them, and one Navy SEAL, the elite of the elite, has already lost his life. They're looking and have looked for 10 days now or so for an escape hole to the surface, and none has been found. They're hoping for enough time to ponder options. And in fact, this very morning, they said their time is up. They're looking for favorable conditions. Monsoon season is coming. They're looking for a clear forecast. And the rain is starting to fall, literally is falling even now. And just as God revealed through a disobedient prophet, the only way for an entire crew of pagan sailors to be to be delivered through, is through the sacrifice of one man who is willing to lay his life down for another. You see, Jonah said, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. These Navy SEALs even now are swimming through dark waters that are cold, holding on to a young child who is trying to remain calm. And they have said to those officials in Thailand, pick me, I'll risk my life, I'll do anything it takes to let these children live. And in fact, as I walked out this morning, two kids have already been rescued. They have already made the journey this morning and we pray that the rest of them will come out safely. Your efforts to save yourself and others aren't good enough. Your little gods are too small and the rain is falling. What storm is raging in your life as we close? What storm is raging in your life right now that you can't explain? What storm in your life is raging that you can't control? Could God be trying to get your attention? You see, the bad news is this. We're all fast asleep in the belly of a ship of disobedience. The Bible says that we're all in that boat together. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the worst news is, is that we can't do anything about it. We can't row hard enough. We can't pray hard enough. We can't work hard enough. The waves around us are rough. Our boat is breaking apart. And there is no land in sight. And the Bible says we all deserve to be thrown overboard. It says the Bible says, says the wages of sin is death. Sin is disobedience, a lack of faith, self-sufficiency, our backup plans that we have offered to God because we didn't like his plan A, and our unwillingness to follow Christ. But there is good news. As we have already seen, two children have already made their way out, and this morning the good news is not a, a Thai rescue sailor is coming to get you. 
But the God of the wind and the rain and the storm is full of mercy and grace. And that God, the covenant-keeping God loves you so much that he sent his sinless son, Jesus, to pay a penalty for our sins. And Jesus said, pick me. Hurl me into the depths of sin, into the raging storms of judgment. I will pay a penalty that you cannot pay. And once I have been sacrificed and thrown overboard, the seas will calm for those who trust me. You see, God loves you that much this morning. All across this room, God loves you that much that he sent his one and only son to take sin upon himself, your sin upon himself, and to die a cruel death and to offer you an opportunity, opportunity for eternal peace in heaven. Romans 10, 9, we quote it in our baptistry each and every week that we baptize. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, you will be saved. If you have never trusted Jesus this morning, I'm going to ask in just a moment, I'm going to pray. If you have never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you may say this morning, I'm in a deep cave and the water is rushing and there's no hope for me outside of one man coming to get me. I offer you that one man and his name is Jesus. I ask you to consider being saved this morning from your sins. And perhaps this morning you are a believer and you, just like Jonah, have been running. You've been fleeing from the presence of God. I offer you this morning, would you come home? Would you simply say, God, my plan B hasn't worked and I go for your plan A and I will do whatever you call me to do. I just want to come home. I'm tired of the wind and the waves beating me down. And the best news is this. The bad news is that we all sin. The worst news is we can't do anything about it. The good news is that God sent his son Jesus to die in our place. And the best news is that gift is absolutely free. Romans 5, 8 says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, still sinning, Christ died for us. This morning, would you bow your heads all across the room? This morning, if you have never trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm simply going to ask you in just a moment to pray a simple prayer. And if you mean it in your heart that you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and, and save me from my brokenness. Help me to turn from my sins. Lord Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. If you'll pray that prayer, God will save you radically this morning. And this morning, I pray for any of you who simply have been wandering from God. Would you just say, God, bring me home. Restore my fractured relationship and allow me to feel your presence once again this morning. Father, all across this room, I pray that you would do your work, work that I cannot do. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you simply would change lives. This morning, if there is a man or woman who just simply wants to know you, may they cry out to you now. And if there is a wayward believer, simply bring them home. God, teach us in the midst of the storm that you are still to be trusted. God, change lives even now. 
Change us to the point that we would offer to you our lives, our yeses, whatever they may be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.